The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. We're living in an age when people fill themselves up with junk food, and that includes spiritual junk when it comes to understanding what the Bible really teaches. In these last days, this book predicted that people will turn their backs on solid truth and chase mirages and myths. There's a lot of deceptive and foolish nonsense out there disguised as religion. We're going to expose four major end-time errors that we should be on the lookout for and guard ourselves against. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Jesus warned his disciples very solemnly to guard against deception. In this program, we want to highlight four end-time deceptions when it comes to false teachings. There are certainly more than four erroneous teachings going around, but we have time to expose four major deceptions in this program. The first error I want to mention is the belief that you can be a Christian without being a disciple of Jesus the Messiah. Well, in Luke 640, Jesus said very plainly that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. In order to make disciples, as the Lord has commanded us to do in the Great Commission, we must first become his disciples ourselves. Yet there's so many seeker-friendly churches that only aim to fill pews and create a big audience for TV. And so, for the most part, they don't emphasize making disciples at all. I don't attend church for its entertainment value. Church is where I go to feed my soul, a place where my body is strengthened and where I receive instruction as well as the peace that passes all understanding. I'm talking about the depths of peace that the world can't possibly offer us. Most of all, church should be a place to worship God with their highest ideals of music, praise, and prayer. That's something woefully missing from so many churches. It's a tragic mistake to look for entertainment in a church service, but sadly, churches are trying to compete with the world's entertainment system. Having lulled their congregations into a mental stupor, these seeker-friendly churches are caught off guard by the invasion of a militant religion that's seeking to enslave us. And we're caught by a barrage of immorality, on the other hand, that seems to be going unchecked. However, evil spirits can be driven back if the church will wake up on our watch. For Paul said in the New Testament, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age we're waging a spiritual warfare, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, we're to take up the whole armor of God that will be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. 
After repenting of our shallowness, we've got to regain lost ground quickly. The key, Paul said in that Ephesians 6 chapter about spiritual warfare, is praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Believe me, when God the Holy Spirit shows up, it's a zillion times more awesome than a shabby imitation of the world's entertainment in church. Now concerning this end-time era of casual church-going and seeker-friendly deluded Christianity, I want to say very solemnly that discipleship is not optional. Jesus said, unless we're willing to pick up our individual crosses and follow Him, that means obeying Him and doing everything He says on a daily basis, we cannot be His disciples. Casual churchgoers tend to think of discipleship as something that a super saint does or something that only a minister or a priest or a missionary does. However, the fact is, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we should be his disciples and we should also be making disciples. A second end-time danger is the proliferation of an inordinate lust for revelations for sensational prophecies and outlandish unbiblical supernatural manifestations. People are finding solid truth to be intolerable and unpalatable because the plain truth contradicts their own lusts for theories and bizarre teachings. And so they'll find plenty of weird teachers to accommodate what they want to hear. Now please don't misunderstand me. I do believe very much in the Holy Spirit gift of prophecy that Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians. I believe in supernatural miracles and so forth. The Holy Spirit gift of prophecy is a very needful gift in the body of Messiah. It's biblical and it's been powerfully used in my life to confirm many new doors along my path. And I also prophesy words to others from time to time as I'm led by the Holy Spirit. But Paul told his protege, Timothy, that the time would come when people would no longer be able to endure the plain diet of the gospel. Instead, they'll lust for more and more revelations and teachers with exciting visions. In our age of the internet, strange revelations and doctrines that excite have swamped our Facebook pages and email accounts. Throughout this week, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me a certain verse. It's in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 4.3. The King James Bible that I grew up with, and therefore it's the version I'm the most familiar with, renders 2 Timothy 4.3 like this. For the time will come, Paul said, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own flesh, they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now the phrase after their own lusts means that people will be craving for teachers and teachings, not according to this Bible, but according to their own tastes, according to their own cravings or wishes for angels and so-called heavenly tourism through visions and so forth. The implication is that people will always want something new they want a new revelation. 
that can endure and put up with biblically revealed doctrine. The meaning of the original Greek is the people in the last days won't be able to put up with healthy, helpful doctrine. That is foundational truths from the Bible that explain salvation, teachings that expose and denounce sin, teachings that heal the mind, the soul, and the body. Instead, Paul's prediction is that people will seek instructions that are more comfortable and more conformable with their whims and with their fickle feelings. I've surely noticed that many professing believers have an insatiable appetite for the newest and the latest revelation, when in fact, most good preaching is merely reinforcement of truths that the Bible has already revealed and that we may not have been putting into practice. As much as I appreciate the recovery process of the Hebrew Roots Movement, we have to be careful that we're not just chasing a remez or a revelation for the sake of revelations. We have to be careful not to crave the garnishing of the dish more than the food. We have to be careful not to want to be electrified rather than edified. Jesus plainly warned us that in the last days there will be many false teachers. There will not be one or two, but there will be heaps and heaps of false prophets. Jesus says the world will swarm with them. Good men, and especially good ministers, will be very rare, one in a thousand. Internet rumor is especially tricky these days. There are so many perverted scammers out there who take delight in conspiracy theories and in counterfeiting news with fake reports. All the time, people send me the most outlandish links wanting to know if they're true or false. Why don't they have the discernment? Just this week, a viewer wrote to me asking for prayer for a former minister's wife who has tragically gone completely off the rails. Apparently, her downfall began with an inordinate desire to have more and more revelations and teachings. Apparently, she spends so much time watching various teachers and videos on the internet that tragically, she lost her husband. She lost her children, and now she's alone with only a few friends who are trying to help straighten her out. This former pastor's wife refused all spiritual correction and counseling, and she insisted that only she understands the truth. Well, I like the way that the New Living Translation renders my text, 2 Timothy 4.3. It says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Tragically, it's happening all around us. People turn away from the truth. They grow weary of the glorious gospel of Messiah. They're greedy of outlandish prophecies and take pleasure in them. And what's the meaning of people wanting to have their ears tickled, as the Apostle Paul expressed it? The image is an itching sensation to have ears rubbed or scratched. This is because people are fickle. They are unsettled and they're never satisfied. They will accumulate for themselves self-gratifying teachers in accordance to their own desires 
as in the days of the prophet Isaiah, when the people demanded, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits to us. Well, the International Standard Version renders the text for the time will come when people will not tolerate healthy doctrine. And the Net Bible renders it, they will have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. And the Aramaic Bible in plain English is a translation that I appreciate a lot. It renders the text, for there, there will be a time when they will not obey sound teachings, but they will multiply teachers to themselves according to their own desires and with an itching of their sense of hearing. The word multiply really describes what's going on. I tell you, these revelations on the internet are proliferating. May God give us greater discernment as we need it more than ever. Amen. Now, a third end-time deception that's unfortunately gaining ground in a lot of places is that God is finished with Israel and that Israel as a nation is not a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, but it's just some unfortunate political anomaly. What an end-time heresy. Nothing could be further from the truth. My husband and I were listening to an interesting radio news program the other night. The host of the radio program had so much going for him and his ministry because he comments on the news in light of Bible prophecy. But then suddenly, out of the blue, he lashed out in an anti-Semitic tirade against Israel that truly shocked me. He also lashed out and denigrated a pastor who has stood in the gap with Israel. As a Bible teacher and a watcher of end-time prophecy, this radio host surely should have known better. God will hold him accountable for not knowing this prophetic word concerning God's regathering of the Jewish people back into their homeland in the last days. Those of us who are teachers will be held to a greater accountability. You see, the Bible says in many places that God favors the return of the Jewish people to the promised land, and he's fulfilling his covenants with the Jewish patriarchs and with King David. God's preparing for Jesus to return, to sit on the throne of his father David, and to rule this world for a thousand years from this very nation of Israel with Jerusalem as its eternal capital. Hallelujah. Replacement theology, the notion that God has rejected the Jewish people and replaced Israel with the church, this is an insidious teaching, and it's particularly rebellious and dangerous in light of the plain fulfillment before our eyes of so many end-time Bible prophecies concerning Israel. Well, let's take a Selah moment and ask God to convict any Bible teacher or Bible commentator who's not understanding the times and who is erroneously leading the people of God astray into dangerous anti-Semitic error. A fourth end-time deception that we must fight is a craving for revival, signs and wonders without 
genuine repentance. Yes, we want big revivals, but revivals must be biblically sound and not just soulish shows with a lot of hype and shouting and shoving with no fruit that remains. Hardly a week goes by that I don't receive yet another prediction about a coming move of God that's supposed to eclipse all other previous revivals. Well, first of all, I have to say that there is coming a revival that will eclipse all other revivals. But the revival I'm talking about will ultimately take place here in the land of Israel. That's what Romans chapter 11 is all about, and you must read it for yourself. While hopefully there's still time for great revivals in the nations by God's love and mercy, nevertheless, these potential revivals will not be able to rival the great end-time revival that the Lord himself is planning and preparing in these last days in this nation of Israel. The move of God in the land of Israel is prophesied in the Bible to be so great and Israel's salvation from her enemies so tremendous and earth-shattering that the nations will know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is God. And when the Holy Spirit is finally outpoured on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as described in Zechariah chapters 12 and 13, it's going to be resurrection life from the dead compared to all other previous revivals. Anybody who's spiritually smart will grab a hold of this. The frequent discussions about revival on the internet and so forth, the hopes, the dreams, prayers, and many prophecies about revival in the nations always tend to revolve around the manifestation of the glory and presence of God moving across the land. Hallelujah. But I have to ask, have we paid the price in fasting, prayer, and repentance, and just going out and plainly preaching the gospel in order to obtain such a revival? Or are we willing to accept weak substitutes? Well, the dictionary defines the state of being revived as a returning to life or consciousness. When a person is resuscitated from near death, it's said that he's being revived or brought back to life. After being born again in my childhood, I've been through a number of personal spiritual revivals in my lifetime. And the bottom line is that revival means returning to our first love, returning to the Lord. Revival is something that happens to individual believers when a living faith in our first love of the Lord is restored by the power and working of the Holy Spirit. But revival today, in most people's minds, they're thinking about a large move of the Holy Spirit that will impact the church and the nations. And I'm a student of the history of revivals, and in a true revival, the Holy Spirit doesn't behave in a silly manner, but He's active in power to convict people of sin, of true righteousness, and of impending judgment. There are many wonderful consequences of a real revival. Believers begin to pray. They weep. They repent. Sometimes they tremble under the power of the Holy Spirit with a holy reverential fear of the Lord and His holiness and judgments. 
if revival is genuine, people receive new power to live clean, upright lives. They receive power to obey God from the heart. Marriages and relationships are beautifully restored. Drunkards, drug addicts are delivered from their addictions. People become productive members of society. Entire communities are transformed by the power of holy, godly living. The one basic ingredient that's lacking and seldom spoken about in current calls for revivals is true repentance. I've talked about this a number of times in our exploits programs. It's our great desire to do the works of God as never before, but our Western nations are so weighed down by sins and so near to catastrophic judgments that I believe God is waiting for national repentance services. Instead, what most Christians seem to be seeking are mainly blessings for themselves in meetings. You see, if you listen to prayers and services, the prayers often revolve around individuals' needs and not around God's agenda. People may enjoy a therapeutic time in lively praise and worship, yet when the services are over and the strobe lights are turned off, many are sadly still living, for the most part, unyielded, unsurrendered lives. In their heart of hearts, many believers know that they have many outstanding unresolved issues between them and God, but they're simply unwilling to change. Many believers are living in open sin and taking God's mercy for granted. There seems to be no healthy respect for God's moral law and no wise fear of the consequences. Yet, despite the lack of repentance and real change, there's plenty of ministry still going on all the time. People line up for ministry and even want hands laid on them, even though many continue to live in sin. And you know what's scary about that to me? It's pretty scary that Jesus warned us that many who have an anointing will be branded by him on judgment day as workers of iniquity. How many are there like that in our churches today? But we have to face this dangerous fact and examine ourselves to see that we're truly demonstrating the faith and contending for the true faith. This is because of the scary warning that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 7 in verses 22 to 23. He said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and by your name? Didn't we cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? But then Jesus said, I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Wow, God, please don't let that be me. Repentance seems to be an old-fashioned word that we want to sweep under the church carpets and in the theaters of our entertainment. Yet the essence of the gospel in Luke 24, 47, is that repentance and remission of sins, forgiveness, should be preached in his name to the nations beginning here from Jerusalem. In a sermon preached not far from these walls, 
The apostle Peter cried out to his generation in Acts chapter 3, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Both Jesus and John the Baptist preached repentance. Repentance simply means a change of heart, a change of attitude, literally turning around and returning to God. But a false Messiah is tragically being preached in many of the churches. And the world loves this false Jesus. Many of the attributes of the false Jesus is that he will let everyone into heaven. We're told about this false Jesus that he came to bring peace and love and not division. He doesn't require obedience or holiness. He doesn't require repentance. He only requires love. He never says anything offensive and he certainly won't tell anyone they're wicked. It's impossible for him to send someone to hell. His commands are only suggestions and so forth. But if you know the gospel, you know all those lies portray a false Christ. The fact is Jesus does require obedience and he spoke many times of the horrors of hell that we must try to escape. He called a spade a spade and he rebuked religious hypocrites and called them out. So if you're following a false Jesus, it's time to wake up from that. Yet even now, says the Lord, turn unto him with all of your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Turn unto the Lord your God and he'll save you for he's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and he's abundant in loving kindness. Call on him while there's yet time to be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Now to sum up these four end time deceptions that we've been discussing, the reason for the shocking apostasy that we're seeing all around us is that the predicted time has come when people will not be able to endure sound doctrine. Professing churchgoers don't want to discard the ministry altogether, but they're exchanging godly ministers for another category of flatterers because of human pride and the cry for indulgent teaching. Morality accompanies sound doctrine and immorality accompanies unhealthy teachings. The itch for novelty and for more and more revelations will result in a multiplication of false teachers who will share new things or smooth things. It's a Bible fact that when men don't return to the knowledge of the truth, God will give them over, the Bible says, to a reprobate mind. That term means a depraved mind so that people lose all taste for sound ideas and they lose their ability to think clearly. Well, you can see I've described a serious battle going on and we're believing nevertheless God, that God in his mercy because he's not willing for people to perish. We're believing in these last days to win at least a million souls to the Lord in the time remaining before the second coming of Jesus. And so we covet your prayers. Daniel 11:32 promises that those who know God will be strong and do exploits, the works of God. And if you're a watchman on the walls, we'd like to stay in touch and chat on the social media.
We also invite you to visit our website, exploits.tv, where you can click online to receive a copy of our free color magazine. And on our website, we publish important weekly prayer points for watchmen, as well as notices about our upcoming events and prayer convocations in the Holy Land. And so, until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom. Our ancestors knew their Bible. This medieval map from about 1300 shows the known world, and at the very center is the holy city of Jerusalem. Today, Jerusalem is still the apple of God's eye. It's from Jerusalem that Jesus commanded the word of the Lord should go forth into all the world. That witness is what the Jerusalem Channel is all about. It's only through the support of you, the viewers, that we can continue to bring video teachings and daily website updates of what God is doing in these last days. For viewers in the United States, our ministry is tax-deductible. And in the UK, we're a registered charity to qualify for gift aid. You can make a credit card donation through our secure website or by check to our postal addresses in the US and UK. Please help us to continue and expand this outreach of the gospel through the Jerusalem Channel.